In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Thank you for joining us, and it's wonderful to have you here for Grapevine, as always. Um, I suppose we need to look at ourselves as Christians and realize that there is a purpose for us and try to figure out what that purpose is. Our Lord, in speaking with his disciples, and indeed the wider community, gave them a very clear command. He said, follow me. When he spoke to the disciples at the beginning, he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. When you spoke to the wider, he said, follow me, take up your cross, come after me. And it all meant that there was a very particular calling. Now that calling at that time was to a small group of people, or indeed a wider calling. At the moment, the calling is more general. It is to all of us. We all have a responsibility. We all have something to do. We all have a function. We're all given gifts. We're all given an ability to do things. And we're all given an importance in God's plan. And sometimes we underestimate that. We, we don't understand, we don't know, we don't think what we have to do. We look at ourselves and we underestimate our role. We underestimate what God empowers us to do. And we believe the world. We believe the world that says, actually, no, there's nothing really for us as Christians. Uh, the world that says Christianity is failing and weakening. And we see things happening. We then think we have no function anymore. We've been disempowered, whereas the whole message of Christianity and our Lord Jesus Christ was empowerment. St. Augustine says, Why are we relying on ourselves when we find ourselves merely unreliable? I'll explain. In looking at that, we try to do things, we, we become inspired, and we try to do something and then it just doesn't work. We don't get a result. We try it again and we fail. And that takes away <clears throat> our desire to do things, it takes away our enthusiasm, it makes you think we're not capable. Because we're relying on ourselves and we ourselves fail. What if we were to rely on something much more powerful? What if we were to rely on God's power in us and his calling to us and his empowerment of us? What if we were to rely on an infinite God who is all-powerful and all-knowing, who does not fail. That surely would be more encouraging, more satisfying. But as Christians, we must remember that we have that part to play first. So there are two things. The first is, 
what God gives me. The second is what I do with it. God can give me lots of things that I, like the unfaithful steward, can take and bury in the ground. He gives me these gifts, these abilities, these talents, and I say, you know what, thank you. I'll take them, I won't reject them, I'll take them, but I'm going to not do anything with them at all. I'm going to keep them somewhere safe. Whereas they're not meant to be somewhere safe, they're supposed to be used. They're supposed to be utilized for the greater good of all. And one of the most inspiring models of the second part of that equation, what we do with the gifts, is in the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah was so inspired by his calling that he went and he spoke to his kinsmen, those who were as affected by the fall of Jerusalem as he was. He said, let's work, let's build. The God of heaven will prosper us, let us build. Let us do our bit. And we're told in, in verse 14 of chapter, uh, verse 16 of chapter 4, that it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears and the shields and the bows and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Everyone's working. You have people building people holding armor, wearing armor and holding shields to protect them, people holding swords and spears to ward off any attacks, and the leaders behind the people. Everyone was there. Everyone felt that he or she had a role, had a purpose, had a place. And because of that, they worked, but it was because of the leadership and the vision of Nehemiah himself. He was able to empower, to mobilize, to invigorate all of these people. And so we see lots of things happening in the world around us. Stagnation, distrust, carelessness, ambivalence, inhumanity, injustice. Whether they're positive evils or just complacent evils, negative evils, that are there because we don't do anything. What is our role to be able to combat that? What is our role to have, a, to make a difference? St. John Chrysostom says, nothing will divide the church so much as the love of power or position. So when I'm speaking about having a role, I'm not saying go and become important. I'm not saying go get a title. Some of us were called, and you know, I, for the life of me, when I decided to leave Australia and go live in the, in the desert to become a monk, I didn't think I'd be standing here speaking to you today. Right? Wasn't my plan. Wasn't my vision. But I felt that it was a calling, and God calls us, and he moves us, and he empowers and enables us. And so it starts from not wanting position, not wanting prominence, actually running away from that, rejecting it, to moving forward in a positive way and saying, Lord, I just want to follow in your footsteps. I want to follow your calling. I want to be yours. 
So St. John Chrysostom is right. It's not about pursuing titles and prominence. It's not about importance. It's about what I want to do with the gifts God has given me. And they are so important. They are so critical. I suppose the realization sometimes comes from what we see around us. So Nehemiah in chapter 2, when he first starts to speak to people, says, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste, and its gates are burnt with fire. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem. We sometimes have a tendency when we see destruction to fall into a state of victimhood and powerlessness and sit and wail in the rubble and think, well, what can we do now? Look at the destruction around me. In the wise words of many who have come before us, it ain't going to build itself. There is destruction. Whether we're talking about walls or principles or morality or society or ethics or freedom or justice, we can sit in, in the rubble of many of those. But it's not going to build itself. It's going to need good, faithful, strong, encouraged people to say, okay, I'll, I'll do my thing. Whether I am... Nehemiah empowering, or I am one of the gods wearing armor, or holding a spear, or holding a sword, or one of the builders, one of the elders, one of those before the elders building. Whoever I am in that picture, in that landscape, I have something to do. And that's the beauty of the model of the body of Christ that we're given. A body of Christ that has so many elements, so many organs, so many capabilities, and they all become completely complementary. They don't war against each other, they don't fight with each other, they don't conflict, they actually work perfectly. If we work the way we're supposed to. If, like St. John Chrysostom, we're not all looking for prominence. So imagine the body. You know, hypothetically, where the hand and the foot and the leg and the knee and the head are all saying, you know what, I'm just as important as everybody else. I want you to vote me in as the leader. There isn't that element. There's an element of the body of Christ with the recognized head as Christ. We have a beautiful symbolism in our church, in the Coptic Orthodox Church where our cathedrals, our churches, are all built in the style of the basilicas and the imperial courts, where the emperor would sit, and you've all seen the Roman Empire movies, right, where you walk in and the emperor is sitting on a very high place at stairs and people around him and the court is there, right? So the emperor always sits at the most prominent place, He's caught around him, and then people there listening to him. If you look at this church here, 
this is the same style. Those, that chair up there is the bishop's chair. So in the Church of England, in the Catholic Church, the bishop's chair is in the narthex there where the emperor sat. In our church, when you look at our churches, they're different, right? When you look at the most, the farthest part of the sanctuary, who's at the sanctuary? It's an icon of Christ on the throne. And the bishop's chair is out here. So the head of the church is indisputable. There is only one head of the church, who is Christ. So we don't fight about who's the head of the church. We just need to figure out which part of the body we are, what our function is, when we do it, how we do it, how we do it together, how we collaborate, how we bind together. And that's the beauty. And so we want to be like Nehemiah, who says, you know what, let's not sit here in the rubble and wail. Let's not sit here in the rubble and just feel broken and powerless. Let's do something about it. Let's arise. Let us build, or indeed let us rebuild. And if I want to go one step back, that applies equally to our own spiritual lives and our own personal journeys. Because sometimes we've built things for ourselves in our lives. We've built spiritually, we've built relationships, we've built careers, we've built friendships, we've built families, we've built lots of things. And suddenly, those come crashing down. Now again, we can sit in that rubble and think, what do I do now? I've lost everything. Or we can, in very much the same way, say, fine, I'm here. I'm in the middle of this rubble, I see the destruction, but it's not going to build itself. And I rebuild. I might rebuild the same things, or rebuild differently, depending on what they are and what I do with them. But the most important thing is to realize that rebuilding is always an option. There is never a destruction, neither of myself nor of the world around me that cannot be rebuilt. And so again, we have a real purpose and importance to be that hope. So I look at myself as a Christian, as the follower of Christ, the follower of God in flesh who came to save the world against all odds, against every odd. Who took flesh, came, dwelt among us, ascended to the cross, died, was buried, rose, and raised us. Whence every obstacle. He even said, I will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Metaphorically, of course. But he spoke of destruction and rebuilding. So if we're going to as we're reminded in the Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as our Father in Heaven is perfect, we need to adopt His same model. That I have a purpose for the world, and it comes from realizing that my own brokenness is not irreversible. 
that's the starting point. Quite often we say this, I'm not interested, don't want to do it, doesn't interest me, doesn't bother me. But we all know that's not always the case. We all know that quite often we are actually interested. But that's just our defense mechanism to say, I don't think I'm good enough. So I'm going to pretend like I don't care. I don't think I'm empowered enough. So I'm going to pretend like you don't make a difference. If we only, as human beings, only said what we meant, the world, I think, would be a better place. Now, of course, it works in both ways. Because sometimes we say things in our heads that people don't know, and that could be very destructive. But I'm talking about the other side, where if I say, you know, I'd love to help you, I love you, I care about you, you matter to me, but I just don't know what to do. Either because I don't feel that I'm good enough, or I feel that your problem is too big for me to solve, but I really wish I could be part of it, part of the solution. Imagine how much better the world would be. Imagine, imagine how much fewer conflicts and arguments would be. Because people would actually say, you know what, I'd love to help you, but I don't know what to do. As opposed to, I don't have any time, I don't care, I've got more important things, you don't matter, etc., etc., all the excuses we make. So we need to get out of that mindset. Augustine, is, again, says one, something that's very interesting. He says, without God, what can, we guide, what can we be guided by but our own destruction? So if we take God out of our lives, all we see is destruction. All we see is hopelessness. All we see is defeat. But it's only with him in that, that we're able to see things differently. We're able to see a very different world. We're able to look at situations and realize there's hope, there's promise, there's a solution. But if we only follow our own humanity, then we see destruction. We'll see these walls that are broken and that have no solution, but that we just recognize that, accept it, and live with it. So the starting point is to realize we are not broken beyond repair. But then to realize something that is so much more empowering. So the first thing is, you're not broken, right? or at least beyond repair. The second thing, St. Peter in his first epistle, chapter 1, verse 15 says, as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So the second bit of that is with the realization that I am not broken beyond repair, I have the option, I have the possibility of following in the steps of my Lord, my God, my Savior, and trying to replicate His holiness. Now, 
Let's measure expectation here. We're not God. We're never going to be perfect. Absolutely perfect. But we can be relatively perfect. For us, as perfect as we can be. Because the reason I say that is when we realize, when we realize that listen, I'm not God, and I'm, I'm sure the scriptures realize that, when the apostles, the disciples, our Lord himself told us to be perfect, they all realized that we weren't actually going to be absolutely perfect like God because there was only God, but that we could be relatively perfect. And it's only in trying to reach this relative perfection that we can make that difference to the world that I'm talking about. Far too often, we write the world off and we write ourselves off because we can't do something in particular. And so we take hope away from the world and we take hope away from us in our capacity to even possibly change the world in any way. There's a lot going on around us these days. As I said, our own personal struggles, pain, injustice, and injustice of all forms, whether you're speaking micro, as in injustice in the world, way that people within a family deal with each other, to macro, in the way of we as humanity deal with other humans and everything in between. So there's a lot that we can do. There's a lot that we can be part of. There's a lot that will enable us to be true light in the world. But it's important for us to realize that we must do something first to follow, to not only be led by our own weakness and our own brokenness, that will lead to failure. And we get into this cycle, as I said earlier, being really encouraged. And so we do something. But we don't do it in just the right way. You know, we do it based on ego or based on personal preference or without prayer or without um, a consultation, or without spiritual guidance, or without the right spirit, or without humility, or without passion, without power, without committedness. And so it sort of goes down. And it starts to fail. And we can see it start to fail. So it goes even further down, until it actually fails. When it gets down to that point, we give up on it. Whereas if we had started... And we had said, not I, but Christ in me. I'm not doing this. All I'm doing, Lord, is taking what you've given me and using it to do what you have called me to do. I have, given, I have taken what you have given me and used it to do what you are calling me to do. To realize that he is the beginning and the end. And if I do that and I follow him, then I start to move up. And so rather than the cycle going down, it actually moves up. 
And based on that, not only do I do things, not only do I feel empowered and strengthened, but I also look at the world around me and realize that people are going to be inspired to do the same thing. And it has a knock-on effect. And that's the way the church has always worked. Worked with our Lord as the new model. And around him is 12 disciples. Around them, 70 apostles. And around them, their apostles and disciples. And it rippled from there. That ripple effect from the incarnate word, God in flesh, to those around him, to those around them, it rippled not only through the world in their day and age, but it rippled throughout humanity and throughout history until 2,000 years later, we are here propagating, living, encouraging the same message. And we're part of it. You and I are part of it. You and I have a role to play. You know, I could give you a gift. So here you are. Here's an ability to speak. Or here is money. Or here is a talent. And I can take that and use it for myself. I can take my ability to speak and become popular in myself. Or take my money and become more wealthy. Or become, take my art and express myself which are all not too bad. But how have I used those things for others? How have I used my voice for those who have no voice? How have I used my wealth for those who are poor? How have I used my talents for those who are in pain? We must use them for ourselves but we must even more importantly use them for others. And very importantly, and those of you who serve with us at City Mission, our homeless ministry, will know this, that although we've been running for 17 years, there is no ulterior motive. There isn't a motive of, I'll give you food if you come to church. No. What we do, what our ethos is, is to give people an opportunity to know Christ through our actions, through our love, through our hospitality, or through our generosity, and then leave them to choose. And likewise, that is your role in the world. There is a time for the very overt, strong Christian message. There's a lot of time for that. But there is also a lot of time for the daily communication, the daily example. There's a lot of time for the daily living and breathing and making manifest the Word of God. One of the fathers, it's a very wonderful saying, he said that the role of every Christian is that 
if all the Bibles, all the scripture in the world was destroyed, people could know the word of God through us. And that sounds really deep. But actually, if you think about it, if our Lord said to us, these are the two commandments, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. If people saw those two, that's all they'd need to see. They'd see me loving God, both directly in my relationship with him, in my prayer life, in, in my scripture reading, in my fasting, in my spiritual life on a daily, but also indirectly in, in my relationship with people, my graciousness and my kindness, in my ability to put people first, which leads us to the second moment of loving our neighbors as ourselves. Surely if I can do those two, then that is what I'm called to do in this world. Remember, very clearly, that first of all, we are called. We are with purpose. Secondly, we must do the will of our Father so we do not follow our own destruction. Thirdly, Put others before us and realize that we have a responsibility to shine the light of God into the world. And fourthly, use the talents that God has given us to fulfill the calling that he has called us to so that people see us, are inspired by that, and the whole world changes through those very simple but sometimes daily and very needed acts. And glory be to God forever. Amen.